So another day dawns and another person enters room 404. Welcome to the room that time forgot, full of all those things that we wish we could still get a hold of. Uh, If I look over the shelves, there's a huge range, not just of technology, but of media, of gaming. I mean, if I look over here, here is the director's cut of the Magnificent Ambersons. Not the butchered studio version. This, you know, the actual director's cut. Never been seen before. Stuck in here. Uh, Gaming-wise, the Atari Lynx 2. I mean, really, really, this is what Nintendo Game Boy absolutely destroyed. Some people still love it. And, uh... Boo.com, the wonderful fashion website. Somebody actually wants to remember that. To do that, though, they have to come into Room 404 and discuss with me their favourite items from the past that they want to bring out. It might be one of the three above. It might be something completely different. But joining me this week in the room, Melissa Pierce. Hello, Melissa. Hello, how are you? I'm doing Great really Great to be well. here. It, it's really weird because... You know how we, when you have a mental image of people, you kind it's, it's always an interesting one to go. What are they wearing? And and for you, it doesn't matter what. But it's a it's a massive floor length green ball dress, and right behind you is Robert Scoble getting denied entry to a party at South by Southwest. Uh, I can't even remember uh, hanging out with Robert Scoble at South by Southwest. It was it was one of the parties from a couple of years ago, and we all queued up. We all got in, and we all got in, and then somebody went, and Scoble came up and went, can I get in? And they went, but your name's not on the list. And he was like, but I'm Robert Scoble. And he went, yeah, okay, hello, your name's not on the list. You know what? I think that was Guy Kawasaki's party. I Honestly, like, right now, I can't remember. I just remember it being a really, really fun evening. That's excellent. But anyway, um, it, it, Robert did get into that party in the end. But uh, by the way, everybody, um, he attended with the, the guy from the Cavemen Insurance Adverts, and they, they recognized the pair of them together. Uh, but Melissa, you are someone who's, who's done a fair amount online. Um, I've, I've got you down here. I can't work out if you if we put you down as a blogger, a filmmaker, or a raconteur. Or where do you, where do you fit into the fabric of geek? The fabric of geek? Um Oh, you got me. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker that's interested in how technology is affecting people's lives. Uh, and I happen to have a blog that kind of uh, showcases that. So, uh, And the film itself, which is Life in Perpetual Beat, has been doing the festival rounds o- over the last couple of months, hasn't it? Yeah, over the last year. It opened the Chicago Independent Film Fest. Um, It's been going to several festivals. It won an award at the Hollywood Cinema Los Angeles Film Festival. Um, And I just released it online, so that's exciting. Tell tell us a bit about the film. it's, It's documentary, isn't it? It's an interview documentary, and it's just kind of following this idea that now that uh, we have so much information available to us that we really don't have to make a lot of linear choices. We can kind of choose. We we can pretty much explore all the multitudes of ourselves. It's just about how we don't have to live a planned life thanks to uh, the advances of technology. And we can really follow our passions down the rabbit hole and, until there's, uh, till we find, find the end of them. Well, well, down the rabbit hole, uh, down one of them is room 404. And I'm, I'm guessing in your time, you've come across a whole bundle of things that you'd love to bring back again. <laughs> of course, of course. And most of them seem to be from the 1980s, but uh, 
you know, child childhood nostalgia. But I have, yes. Indeed. So, so this, the aim of, of the sort of loose game that we have around uh, Room 404 is simple. Four items, uh, which we will bring up one at a time. Uh, Melissa, you can argue with me and say why these should be come out. I'll see and think if it's a good enough argument and I will decide if they come out or not. And at the end of all of that, we will look around the modern world because there are things in the modern world that really aren't needed. And we will see if there's something that you really want to banish from that as well. Clear? Clear. Right, let's go for the first item. What do we have, hopefully, coming out first? Uh, We have the TRS-80-1000. It's the Radio Shack computer from uh, 1984. Again, uh, it's it's amazing how many people come on the show and go, I want to bring back one of those early 80s computers. Nowadays, of course, people have, you know, you have Windows PC or you have Mac. You, you might have a handful of people using Linux. But back in those days, there were so many little computers like this. I mean, the, the, the Trash 80 is it's the classic one. Why this one for you? Why is it so important? This computer is the one I learned to program on. Um, and... Every time I, I sit down to program now on my MacBook Pro or whatever, I get so very distracted by all of the other things that it does. And this, you know, the TRS-80, this was the only thing that you could do. It was one, you know, it was one thing at a time. Um, so it was hard to get distracted. And I built some really, you know, beautiful screensavers and things like that. You know, I, I was, what, seven or eight. Uh, so I would... I would bring it back because it was a lot of fun to have to really think about how you were using it and how to interact with it. Uh, now, everything's so intuitive, easy. Anyone could do it. I kind of like the thought that it was a, a science and an art and in a process of getting it done. I, I love the idea of programming screensavers on early computers because, you know, these ones you would probably have to type it in or load it in over a couple of minutes to actually see it on the screen then. Yes. So it, it's almost yeah. like, like an artistic statement. It's not just a screensaver. It's doing art in it as itself. <laughs> it, it is. It was all about the process. You know, you wrote, what, 10 or 11 pages of code for the screensaver to move the way you wanted it to and change the colors the way it wanted it to. It was fascinating. Uh, and, and it's such a small screen as well. I mean, we're talking something like, like about a hundred, equivalent of about 100 pixels by 50 pixels or something. Right. It's not, it wasn't a big screen. No. <laughs> You're using that as your avatar in Twitter nowadays, aren't you? <laughs> oh, well... I- yeah, no, I was going to say that screen was bigger, that it filled the whole screen, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now desperately running away to just find out how big your Twitter avatar actually is uh, and pull up the, the specs on the TRS-80, which we have had on the show before. Dave Delaney had a, had a look at the TRS, but he was really looking at it from a strict programming point of view. I love the fact that you're looking at it from an artistic point of view. Uh, so here we are. Uh, can you remember how big your Twitter avatar is? All right, Twitter avatar 75 by 75. Yeah, you've used the original one, so it's 159 by 159. Mm, very and, nice. And the TRS-80 screen resolution. Um, no. Oh, there we go. Uh, basic routines provided which could write directly to 128 by 48. <sighs> That's but. Like- you know, <laughs> it's it's nothing as far as technology goes, but as far as you know, wrapping your head around what's happening in it, 
that's that's missing from I think that's missing from our modern day experience. You yes. know, we just assume that everything is going to work exactly how it's going to because we've made it so easy for anyone to use anything. And, and this is this yeah. is the great thing. And, and you know, the arguments for bringing old computers are, are, are legion on Room Four Hundred Four. You know, so, so people can understand how things work, so they can actually understand their first computer programs and everything. And and it's it's like. I find it really hard to turn these these down. I mean, there are, there are some circumstances, uh, such as if it's a Commodore 64, um, that it's really easy, you know, that's staying in there. But, you know, it's like me trying to say, you know, it's your first love. You're not having your first love. I couldn't... It's really hard for me to, to say no to this. I mean, I'm not going to say no to this. The, the, the Trash 80 is one of those computers that really made America uh, and made the web eventually what it is nowadays for everybody who's doing all the programming. So that, uh, to start off with, is an easy victory. Why, thanks. Yeah, there we go. The Trash 80 uh, is quite comfortably getting out. Unlike Dave Delaney, you had to really struggle and get the level 2 basic version. See, that's how you do it, Dave. You appeal to art, not just the code. You, you, you're looking for the, the sort of flourish in the background, the, something that's not really needed, but it's still really, really nice. So, one for one. Let's go up uh, and find out who's coming off on deck on to second. All right. I love... Uh Rotary dial phones. I want to. I want to bring back not the wireless phone, the the wired phone with a coiled cord. It's a nice heavy phone. You know, you can actually hear. You can hear what people are saying. Uh, you have to sit still and wrap yourself. There's uh, so much. There is. You have to pay so much more attention to the conversation because you can't. Uh, wander away and do a hundred different things. Um, I want to bring that back. I, I want to bring back the being present during a phone conversation. So I think a, a wired rotary dial phone, just that actual pushing of the buttons and uh, you know the deliberateness of it. Now I, I seem to remember that the. I mean, I know British Telecom over in the UK, there was basically a standard phone that, and that was the same phone that pretty much everybody had throughout the 70s and early 80s before people could go out and buy separate phones. So what was it like in, in America? This would be, so this is late 70s, early 80s when the Ma Bell was getting booking up to do the baby bells. Was there like a, a standard phone in America that every household had? Uh, no. No, I mean, we all, it was a, the wall phone. I remember the wall phone. Um, but I remember that heavy phone. My my mom had one that was was in a box. You know, it was in a it was in a wooden box. It was a big deal. Um, you you opened the wooden box when you heard the phone ring. You picked up the handset. You know, it was the handset was nice and heavy. You put it up to your ear, and conversation came out of it. Or you wanted to make a call, you opened the wooden box, you picked up the handset, you heard the dial tone, which I think is sadly missing. Uh, and you had to push those buttons, and you could feel them push down. You could feel the inside of the phone working. You know, um, again, it's it's. It's bringing back again something physical to to the phone conversation, and I love the idea that it, it makes you focus on the phone call, because you know right right now you know I'm recording we're recording this on Skype, and uh, I can see well obviously I've got my show notes window and I've got a board full of sound effects and the bell and everything. And there's a Skype window blinking at me, and I've got a you know tweet deck is 
is heating in the background and there's a Wikipedia page running over. And, and you know, if you were to go back just to that, that corded phone, you'd have the view out your kitchen window. You know, just exactly what was in front of you. There, you know, there aren't a lot of distractions. I suppose, I suppose you could still look at your tweet deck and everything else now if you had a rotary phone. Uh, but you know, there is a, a a physicalness and a stationariness and kind of a, a plantedness. You know, a grounding. You're grounded into the conversation, and I guess I like I like the idea of that. Um, whereas now everyone is uh, like a little dandelion seed. They just float around in their own little universe and there's no, there's no grounding. You've got your cell phone. You can go anywhere. Um, but it's not a – you don't feel that you're attached to the physical world or the conversation really. It's, it's interesting though because much as it's a very admirable thing, I don't actually think that this would happen. I think that people would, would find a way to get around that stuff. And the one that uh, I'm, I'm reminded of is the TV series Roseanne. Because they had the, the old-fashioned phone on the wall in the kitchen, but they had about a 25-meter cord from the phone to the handset that allowed them to go absolutely anywhere in the house. Well, you know, that was Roseanne. Who was she? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> a 25 feet of cord. How trashy is that? Well, I, I don't know. Is it is it, is it still regarded as trashy in America? No, well, I, 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 I would never. You know, we had a cord on our phone. Uh, one of them that stretched maybe six feet. Maybe the one in the kitchen actually stretched about ten feet, so you could walk into the pantry and shut the door if you wanted to have a private conversation. I don't know. I maybe maybe who would bring it back would be you know the luddites or the people who really are are pining for that leisure that we don't seem to have anymore now that we have the entire world at our fingertips. Um, I would like to see it make a comeback personally. I mean, if you actually uh, there's there's actually I'm not going to bring this out of room four hundred four. Uh, spe- no? specifically because most of the bits to do this are already out there. But it's the grounding. It's, it's that clear sound. And it's the, the grounding of, of having something that's completely attached to the physical world. No matter what Bluetooth device you have on your cell phone, that's not grounded. You're not, you're not stuck anywhere. So, so the point isn't specifically about the, the tech. It's the fact of you have to stay where you are when you're making the call. That's right. It's that it's, you you have to stay. You're firmly planted. Yeah, you see, I, I you don't like it. I'm, it's I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. You know, because it's it, again. It's one of those things that I think we might be looking back on with rose tinted spectacles. I think if we actually had, I mean, your, your phone in your house is it a grounded phone? Do you? Have we a- don't have. We don't have a landline at all in our home you see there's and this is why there's so many stumbling blocks to this one uh that it you know and you'd end up getting you know, i'm looking over and yeah i do have a landline here uh, and it's right next to me but it, admittedly it's a, it's a cordless one here as well uh so i think there's just too many stumbling blocks to bring this one back fully i think there's 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 a lot of rachel charm and there's a lot that we could do with it but i don't think it would work in the modern world now Oh, poor rotary phone. Poor rotary We're leaving phone. it in 
We are, yes. Unless in Realm can, 404, is that um, what you're telling me? We're yeah, not I am, pulling it yeah. out. <laughs> uh, unless we can find a really good price on eBay for it, I think it's going to have to stay inside. Oh, oh, such a sad, sad day for that poor rotary phone. It is. It's all, well, you, the good news is you've now got a better rate than the White Sox in the first weekend. Uh, you won for two. Um, mind you, that's not saying something given that I'm following the Giants. Uh, so uh, what do we have for a third item? All right. Our third item is the Babbage machine or the uh, Babbage engine. It was one of the very, very first computers. Now, this is going a long way back. And obviously, a lot of people will have heard about this. But for, for, for the people and maybe for our younger listeners, the Babbage machine was one of the first programmable computers. Yes. So it could spit out a math equation. That's pretty much all it could do was you could program in a math math problem and it could spit out the answer. Uh and I saw one of these at the Computer History Museum a couple years ago in Palo Alto. And it was the most, just one of the most beautiful pieces of machinery ever. ever. And that, that someone actually thought of this and thought it through of how it should work. And it's huge. Um, you know, it's got to be almost 10 feet tall and maybe 10 feet long as well. Um, 11 feet long. So, and it weighed weighed something like two tons. Uh, but it was this fascinating piece of machinery. Um, and why why I like it so much and why I think that it should be brought back, um, at least everyone should experience it and really study it, is because you can see all of the parts working. Um, you can see everything about it. It's not encased. You know, computers now are kind of all encased in their plastic or whatever, but it, it's not encased. It's a work of art and engineering. Um, and to be able to walk in and see exactly how it was done and how it operates and understand, you know, how this computer had to work. Well, I don't even know if you call it a computer because it's really, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, there's no hidden circuitry. There's no, you know, magical coding that had to happen. It was incredibly simple. Uh, but it really, really helped with my understanding of how how uh, the idea of computing actually took shape, like where we are now from where we, where we have been. Um, and I think to show this, um, even in an educational se- setting to children, because I think it's missing, it's a, it's a tiny, tiny chapter uh, that is not covered in school normally, uh, would really help them understand uh, what's happened in just the last, you know, 150 years. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference engine itself... It, it did one of those really long, complicated, laborious calculations. I mean, nowadays, you know, computers are used for, let, let's, let's create a shaded triangle and see how many of them we can get on the screen at once. It's great stuff, but uh, the, the math is very repetitive. You look back at the difference engines and polynomial functions are just, they're a mix of scary maths, but also some sort of beautiful mathematical equations as well where the numbers just look lovely it's really easy for us to use them nowadays but back uh, with Babbage they took forever to work it which is one of the prime reasons for creating the difference engine uh, to actually work out these polynomial functions and it does stuff with curves and various other things it's interesting for mathematicians and yeah yes it clearly is a computer because it takes some it takes an input it does stuff to it and it, it spits out an answer at the other end. So why wouldn't it be a computer? I mean, 
you know, Ada Lovelace sat here and helped uh, Charles do this. And it's your first programmable computer. It was your first thing that actually did something. And I think it has a far bigger impact on, on the understanding of the world around us than Halo. Yeah, and what's I think what's interesting about the Babbage machine though is it's never built. It wasn't built until 2002. So here we have this antiquated piece of machinery that was just thought up um, and was so expensive to make and so hard to make at the time because of all of the equipment needed to to put together. You know, all all of the raw materials that it wasn't built until 2002. So it's it's kind of like this uh, antiquated machine that is fairly new. I mean, there were wow. there were some of the earlier ones made, but but the, the sort of full size, full blown one, um, that's the one that took it its time to get through. I think they, they called it Difference Engine Number Two. Um, yeah, some of the some of the earlier ones were made, which government used them and so on. It's it's those later ones. They were tiny, and you can. See, I mean, a lot of museums have now rebuilt. Well, rebuilt again it's the wrong word i've, I've built uh, and and you can actually go and see the london science museum has a lovely exhibition on them uh and and they also just sound fantastic as well so it's so essentially what you're asking is is for me to bring something at room 404 that was never built in the first place hmm. yeah. so this- i think well <laughs> i mean 2002 2008 those are still, in, in computing terms, that's, that's a pretty long time ago yes, anyway. But is, I'm asking yeah. you to bring something out of Room 404 that was thought up in the 1800s and wasn't properly built until this, uh, this decade. You know, I'm, I'm going to tweak it very slightly because okay. I, I love the idea of it coming out and I love the idea of children being able to see how computers work and, and where computers have come from. But we need to make it fun for the kids. So I'll let you bring out the plans for the difference engine out of room 404 in Lego form. That would be amazing. In fact, I'm going to find out if someone has done that already because I would like to go and get that kit. There is is one guy on YouTube who's built it up from Lego. So you can sit there and you can try and work it out yourself. But yes, a Lego version of the difference engine for the kids, allegedly, that can come out. Okay. There we go. All right. We are good. We are good with that. I'm happy. That's two. Two for three. That's not bad. And one of them. And we have Lego as well. So, you know, that's an an extra little bit on the two. So uh, one last item uh, on the uh, bringing out scales. And uh, are are we staying with computing for this one or not? Uh, I think I think I'm going to do reel to reel audio recording (sighs) before the uh, before the cassette tape, the reel to reel, you know, that standalone machine that sat in the room that you, you know, used your microphone to record right onto the magnetic tape. Fascinating. And again, it's, it's showing technology. In the raw, it's taking the case off. I mean, the the cassette as we know it, it was invented by Philips in the oh early sixties, I think, uh, to create that sort of standard size. Uh, and, and you know, like most technology, it there was a couple of different versions, and then everybody decides on one size, and then everybody can go away and make Sony Walkmans and stuff like we've uh, had on from Sarah a week or two ago. I've, once again, I think this is something that I just love the physicalness of it. You know, they're the size of your, the reels are about the size of your hand, sometimes bigger. It goes back to that nostalgic feel of, um, you know, old movie theater projectors. But the reel to reel to actually watch this winding while you're talking and think about how that's going on to that magnetic tape. Um, I don't, there's just there's something wonderful in that, and the, you kind of miss it when you're 
you know, you're talking into your phone. That's super handy um, when you're recording that way or recording into your computer. But when you can actually, you know, feel the the urgency of seeing the tape starting to run out and you realize you've only got a, a finite amount of shots to do it correctly, uh, I think there's something wonderful about that. You know, now now you have infinite do-overs with current technology, which is which is nice. But I don't think it really prepares people for you know wanting to get it right on the first take. Um, and I kind I really like the perfectionism that reel-to-reel uh, pushes. And, and if that makes sense. It, it does. It, it does to me. Uh, and it's interesting that it's like when we go. Oh, to get perfection you don't want you know as many goes as you like perfection that actually works if you go for two or three i'm reminded of of um one of the film directors quotes i think it was nicholas meyer who basically said that you know art and creativity thrive on restriction you know when you don't have enough money when you're making a film for example that forces you to think artistically when you when you only have you know the the, the setting sun to get that last picture it forces you to really you know concentrate and get it right and it it's it's the same with the audio and tape and such like whenever people ask me for advice for podcasting i'll say you know try and do it as if it was live i mean yeah. when we do room 404 we'll attempt to do it in one take because we're doing it over skype there's occasional bits of lag and, and dropped calls and stuff and i'll take them out afterwards but essentially room 404 is recorded in one go you know the bell that you hear is is put in at the time because it's, it's really, you know, if, if somebody just re- reads their script over and over again and, and then decides what they're going to say and then says it, it never sounds right. And you'll, you'll know yourself from doing your interviews. If, if you lose the tape in the interview, you don't ask them the same questions again, do you? No, never. Never, ever. Because it just doesn't work. And, and you know, real, real no, especially tape, not inter- not interviews. No, and and, and real to real tape, uh, and you know, in that time was mostly used to capture audio interviews. With, you know, for for radio stations, things like um, uh, for, you know, the, the one from London. Um, is it Murrow? Murrow? Um, Walter Murrow? I, I could be thinking of somebody else, but it's just leaves a. There's there's a lovely idea that yeah, you've got a three minute piece, you've got four minutes of tape. You know, so you could maybe get the start of it wrong once. And I, I just love the idea. And, it, you know, okay, yeah, you're going to have storage problems and it's magnetic and, and, and all of the issues that you have with that. But it meant that you, 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 you thought not only about the recording, but you thought about how to preserve it afterwards as well. The constraints of that, of the idea of the reel-to-reel that you only have so much time. And once again, you can see it physically happening and you have this physical tape that says, yes, this is, this has actually happened. Um, and maybe that's the artist in me. Like I'm making this audio recording that you really can't see uh, because you can't, you can't see sound waves. But then again, here it is right here on this physical thing. So look, I made it. Um, and you don't get that with digital recording at all. I, I love the idea of constraint. Uh, and, and I think that that's a, a wonderful... Reel-to-reel a real is just one of those facets of it. So rather than bring back reel-to-reel tape machines, um, what I'm going to bring back is the idea of constraint into art. Is that in the 404 closet? That's amazing. I, I, I think it is. Because, <laughs> and I've talked about this before. I think whoever we had uh, on talking about pictures and cameras, when you have digital pictures, you know, you, you kind of 
take millions of them, um, upload one to Facebook, and the rest just kind of disappear. Whereas back in the old days, they would all go into the fall photography. Um, well, at least the 36 that you could get on that one film. So you know, the idea of, of constraint in recording and in art, I think that, as exemplified by Real to Real, I think just to make sure that it's not in there, if it is in there, it's coming out. All right. So whether that's a three or two and a half, I'm not quite sure. But if what we'll do is we'll make sure it's not in there. I'm happy at that. All right. So there, there we, go. we go. Three out of four. Let's be generous and round it up. Uh, right. Have actually made it out there. Um, but now, now we need to sort of balance the universe out, as I say. Now we need to decide a modern thing to go in. I, I would like the modern GPS voices, the voices on your GPS machines to go into into the closet and never come out again. Now, these voices are incredibly useful, though, aren't they? That means that you, you don't need to keep looking at this screen when you're in the car driving around, and they'll very helpfully tell you where, where to go and when to turn, how far to the roundabout. Why would something so useful need to be banished? You know, I I really dislike the uh, computers, the computer programs trying to sound human in some way. I I dislike it immensely. Um, I don't I don't know. You know, I'd rather I'd rather figure it out on a map. To tell you the honest truth, it's just me. I, uh, once again, I think it has to do with that physicality. That's just where I am lately. Uh, but I'd rather like to figure things out on a map or, you know, have an idea of exactly where I'm going. Um, but the voices just make me crazy. They just are not uh, – and I'm sure they're useful to a lot of people. But, you know, they induce so much road rage in me. I'd just rather not. I usually turn them off. So do you, are you still using the, the standard voices or are you downloading the, the extra voice packs, you know, the, the Andy Kaufman GPS voice pack? I, I just turn off the voice completely. But you know, if I can't figure out a route to where I'm going, where when I, I sit down and, and look at the map or, you know, look at my uh, Google instructions or whatever it is. And if I'm not comfortable with that, I don't feel that I should be driving anywhere because I'm not really paying attention to driving then. I'm paying attention to whatever the next turn by turn is. You know, I, I still have to kind of quit what I'm doing to figure out my next step. I, I don't like it. I, I hate those voices. Um, and I usually just turn turn the voice off completely. So it's the fact that I GPS like, and the voices are, are making people lazy. Well, one, they are making people lazy. Two, they are just, you know, it's it's a creepy robot companion. <laughs> now, some people like having creepy robot companions. Every single yeah, well, 1980 science fiction show from America had to have a creepy robot companion. Oh, creepy robot companions. Uh, well, some people can like them, but if you ask me what I want to send back to the closet, it would be the creepy robot companion, driving companion. Well, I, I am going to send this into the closet, and you can lock it away and take the key with you, um, specifically because there's, I have one fear. Uh, and for this one, I'm going to credit the Now Show uh, out of Radio 4 in the UK. Uh, and and they, they joked that they knew what the first words would be when man or woman lands on Mars. <laughs> and, and they said, you know, the first words are not going to be, you know, one small step for man or, gee, it's a big step for Neil, but it's bigger for me. Uh, it's going to be 
you have arrived at your destination. <laughs> and that's not memorable at all. I mean, it's a great joke um, from, from Pont and Dennis, but it's just like, even to have the tiny chance of that happening, it's just, it's, it's like, you can't build up memories on, on thinking what your first words are going to be, when it's going to be. Yeah, and the worst of it is if is if they change the voice over to a really bad Sean Connery impersonation. Uh, oh, my, my best man uh, came up for our 10th wedding anniversary and he deliberately put on a really bad Sean Connery voice on his GPS, not because he didn't know where he was going, but because it was funny. <laughs> and, and it's just like, well, that, that's... It's nice. It's a cheap joke, but it, you know, look at a map. You know, try and remember. Go left, right, left. It's easy. There's just... Voices are going away. Voices are going away for, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, none of them are, are able to stand up on their own, as I've just proven there. But add them all together. The sum of all of that, they have to go. I agree. All right. <laughs> look at Next time you're driving down the freeway, you can just lean over and rip it out of the truck and see what happens. Uh, so, so there we go. Um, four out of five. Uh, probably one of our, even if we were keeping score, that would be very well. Um, but uh, we don't keep score. I just ask, are you happy with the result? I'm happy with the results. That's great. I can live with them. I can live with them. So, Melissa, where can people find out more about you and watch the documentary online? Oh, they can go to uh, lifeinperpetualbeta.com and find out more about the documentary. They can actually watch the documentary for free right now, at least the director's cut. It's being recut in studio uh, by professionals, which is exciting. But they can watch what I did in the viewing room at lifeinperpetualbeta.com, a nice little 40-minute documentary about how technology is changing people and kind of just has a just-do-it inspirational attitude about it. Lovely. And if we happen to have any film festival programmers listening to the show, they can get in touch and get it for their film festival? Um, Yeah. Yeah, they could get it to their film festival too. They can uh, just email me at me at melissapierce.com and... I'll gladly send it their way. There we go, Melissa. Thank you very much for your time and uh, venturing down here into Room 404. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It was Uh, fun. And if you're out there listening, uh, you want to appear on the show or have any ideas for a guest, uh, let me know. You and at thepodcastcorner.com. The show itself, if you've just stumbled over this one, you'll find us in iTunes as well. It's probably the easiest way to pick us up. Room 404 in the search box, you'll find us. Or the RSS feed will be linkable from the main website, which is room404.thepodcastcorner.com. We'll be back next week uh, with another guest, with another four items from history that you've forgotten, that they haven't. uh, And... uh, They'll be looking at the ills of the world and deciding, I know what would make the world a better place if we get rid of bad people doing short Connery accents and asking you to turn left. For now, goodbye. You have arrived at your destination. Lucky you. (laughs) 